This is the DLR Cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right. Well, those magnificent yells can only mean one thing, and that is it's time for the DLR Cast. I'm Steve, along with my good friend Darren Palchowitz. Hello, Darren. We've got episode 15 on tap here. Episode 15. How did we get here? Um, whew, I don't I, know. That's a lot I, of episodes. I don't know, and I'm glad we are here. I, I for one, thought it would be a long time before we before we would be talking about new, new music from David Lee Roth. But that's exactly what we're talking about, because just yesterday on Halloween, a single out of nowhere dropped, dedicated to Eddie Van Halen, called Somewhere Over the Rainbow Bar and Grill. Yeah, that one, unfortunately, some of the media is calling a new song. It's new to us, but it's not a new song. Uh are you under the same impression that I am that this is from the 2013, 2014 sessions from John Five's uh, repertoire? Yeah. So for those who don't know, but I bet if you're listening to this podcast, most people do know there is a full album in the can that Dave cut with the great John Five. And John Five has talked about, even played a snippet on Eddie Trunk's podcast a couple of years ago, said it's kind of in the vein of damn good. It's got a kind of, you know, it's not a hard rocking song, a hard rocking album. No idea when that album ever could come out. I've got a theory on that, actually. Remind me. I'll get to that in a second. Oh, I want this high- take <laughs> but but we do know john uh, i guess apparently you know was involved in producing it plays guitar and plays bass and on this track at least greg bissonette is on drums formerly with dave on the eat and smile band right greg bissonette is just one of those guys that's been everywhere you know at this point in time david lee roth while my favorite artist that greg ever performed with it's not his most famous thing that he's done by a landslide. That guy has never stopped working. No, no. And and that's a perfect little side segue here into this week's interview. And that's you talking to not one Bissonette, but two, Greg and Matt Bissonette, who, of course, have both played with David Lee Roth. And it's a great interview. I think everybody's going to love hearing it. You guys, they just seem like fantastic guys. They were amongst the greatest guys. And I was uh, had the pleasure of trading an email or two with Matt after the fact. It wasn't just one of those gimmicks where sometimes you do the interview with the person, they're nice as can be, and you know you're never going to speak with them again. No, Matt Bissonette is off the charts nice. So was Greg. They had drumsticks in their hands, uh, mostly interview. But I want to hear this hot theory, this hot take on the new Dave song. Okay, well— and yeah, and let's also we want to I'm going to actually talk about the song, too, and the music and kind of do a mini review. But here's my take on why this uh, didn't come out before. And this, okay. uh, this sound might sound a little far fetched. But for the longest time, if you remember when Eddie was going to go, uh, I'm sorry, when Dave first went solo way back in 86 when he left the band and then later when sammy wanted to do some different things i can remember quotes from eddie saying you can't be in two bands at one time you can only do one thing you have to be committed to van halen i'm paraphrasing but i you know i'm just wondering if for whatever contractual reasons or whatever that what might have been the fine print i mean this this was recorded i guess right after a different kind of truth tour 
And that album came out in 2012. There was another. There was uh, there was the 2015 tour, and then of course everything took a uh, unfortunately a permanent break because of Eddie's cancer. But I can't help but wonder if that was just I, you know it sounds crazy. It sounds ridiculous, especially in an era now where. Uh, especially in hard rock guys play on multiple albums playing multiple bands they play on multiple albums at once and that rule was broken actually when you think of it because wolfie van halen did go on tour with and now i'm spacing on who he went on tour with after uh, mark tremonti from creed yeah Yes, that was it. Yeah, whatever uh, Tremonti's band uh, was. He played bass, if I remember, on a tour a couple years ago. So so that's my crazy theory. Maybe that was just uh, – uh, well, I can't put it out. Technically, I'm the lead singer of Van Halen, and you can't be you can't do more than one thing at a time. I, I, I was thinking on as well, somebody had opined uh, – I saw somewhere that we might never, ever hear Alex Van Halen play drums again. He's never played with anybody else. I don't think he's ever been recorded playing with anybody else. He's never been a you, – you never saw him – I mean, Eddie has – you could probably count on two hands the number of jamming jams that uh, at least are on tape, that public appearances with Eddie, right, doing things outside of Van Halen. I mean, it was the most insulated, insular uh, band dynamic I think you could possibly get. Yeah. Did Alex play on the Hagar solo album that had Eddie on it? Oh, I don't think he did, but we'll have to pull that up. But Eddie did play bass on that. That was the contractual album that Sammy owed, the still owed Geffen Records when he joined Van Halen. You might be right about that. I I don't think of uh, Alex appearances on anything. No surprise jams, nothing like that. But going back to your theory on that, I never thought about that. That's totally right. And if this turned out to be a one-off, this is not the only one-off in Dave's catalog that we could talk about. Do you remember after that tour wrapped in 2015 or so that Dave put out that song that he wouldn't say if that was meant that he left Van Halen or what it meant? I don't remember the name of it. Do you? Oh, no, I do not. I don't remember the song. I, uh, oh, wait a minute. Well, he did do a cover. Is this around the same time? There is a cover out there of him doing uh, Baker Street by Jerry Rafferty. That one, I'm guessing, is from when he was just tracking all these covers in the late 90s, early 2000s. And a lot of them wound up on the No Holds Barbecue home video and the Diamond Dave album. There was definitely more covers tracked than he put out Diamond Dave record. That's true. And now you just remind my memory was just jogged. He did do a quick song. It, it was somewhere around. And you would know this being in New York was 2015. What, what was the hurricane that hit New York pretty badly? Sandy was 2012. OK, because there was a song he did. It was called Black Plastic, White Plastic Chair or White Plastic. Do you remember it was a little acoustic, just him and a guitar. Yeah. And there was a video. And, and I remember there was some. Was it some natural disaster this came out around or something? I, does this ring a bell? That rings a bell. Uh, so, like, going down the list, there's the I just left Van Halen but won't say I left Van Halen again song. There's that. There's this new one. There was, do you remember Don't Piss Me Off from the best of that Rhino yeah. did in 97? Yeah, Don't Piss Me Off. Yep, exactly. I do remember that. I have that. And then there was also a B-side. There was an unreleased B-side, I want to say, on the – on the she's my machine single yeah from your so, filthy little mouth so we got all that and the dlr band album is basically out of print because it was never on spotify and of course never got a vinyl thing i just have to go back to that whole thought of 
how much unreleased material is there? Not just from Eddie and Van Halen, but Dave as well. That guy, it's not like he wrote three songs in the last 22 years. And that's no, it. no. And I can imagine if they whittled, I wonder how many songs him and I'm assuming, I looked on the credits on YouTube and there weren't any on credits for this song for uh, somewhere over the Rainbow Bar and Grill. And I just wonder if he, let's say it's a 10 song album he recorded and presumably wrote all with John Five because John Five and him wrote songs to the DLR band now. I mean, yeah. how many songs were written to whittle down to 10, right? Is there was it 15? Is it was it 20? And Dave can be pretty prolific from what we've heard with other. I mean, Edom and Smile was written and all done in uh, pretty really fast, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. We we don't know. We still know so little, but it's great to have this new song, and I think he sounds great compared to if you things on how he sounded on the last Van Halen tour and how he sounded in the residency earlier this year before he really got into gear he sounds great he really does I so let's get to the the review of the song I happen to love it it's it feels so effortless it's just got a great hook the, it sounds familiar right not just because of his voice yeah. but just the melody it's a fun little ditty I like the of course I'm gonna like the lyrics because he's a master lyricist and it tells a really interesting story it sounds like when the band first got signed and I know it's being called, I guess, as a tribute to Eddie. First, remember, the, there was some artwork that popped up on Friday, yeah. right? We're recording this on November 1st, folks, depending on when you listen to it. And so it was like, okay, wow, Dave put out another uh, piece of artwork, and it mentions Ed in it, right? I'm going to miss Ed. I'll miss you, whatever it says. Going to miss you. See you on the other side. And then the next day, what comes up with the artwork on social media and then Spotify and everywhere is this new song, somewhere over the rainbow bar and grill which darren as you mentioned it's new to everybody's ears but it wasn't like it was recorded immediately after it wasn't the stroke of inspiration hit dave and i'm gonna write a song about eddie that's not what this is you mentioned before the eddie trunk podcast i remember john five was on chris jericho's podcast three-ish years ago and he wound up talking about the making of the DLR band and album and how that led to him getting a great start and John Five said to Jericho something like oh yeah when we turn this off I'll play you some of the Roth album so <laughs> I'm feeling a lot of people have heard this and know that there's a full album but you know pro wrestling style they've kept a secret yeah, I mean, I would doubt. I mean, I'm sure John has probably played it for some folks. I bet, um, yeah. but that's probably as far as it as it got. Uh, just it, they're so damn good. <laughs> Pardon the pun. Yeah. Uh, both Dave and Van Halen just keeping all this stuff under wraps. And we're gonna have, we should do a future episode. Let's book it now to talk about what possibly might be coming from the vaults on Van Halen. We don't want to get too far down the road on the DLR cast today, but but there but we've talked about this before. There's just what is out there. How much it does it doesn't seem like there's a lot. I mean, there's never been an all encompassing giant box set with everything. I mean, yeah. it, I would love to see just a simple Dave box set. I mean, you remember remember the Diamond Dave album. That was mostly covers, but there's a song on there that is uh, co-written with John Five, whose name escapes me, um, and I'm going to remember it as soon as John we. Lowry or Bourbon Bob. Well, Bourbon Bob is is the pseudonym for the yeah. bass player, but there's a song on Diamond. Di Bourbon Bob was John Five. Right, right. So, the, right. <laughs> Sorry, it was a pseudonym pseudonym uh, for John Five as a bass player, but there is a song on Diamond Dave that 
uh, on that Diamond Dave album, which was what all covers. Yeah. And but there was a song that it, it's it was oh Thug Pop. That's what it's called. It's called Thug Pop. And I'm well, and that came that album came out after the DLR band album a couple yeah. out, a couple years later. So I'm assuming that was from those sessions, right? I mean, you the lone original on an album full of covers. Go figure. So yeah. so so what's your verdict on this song? Okay, I think any Van Halen or Dave track is great to get. Uh, we are in such a drought of new Van Halen stuff that even if it's the worst song, even if it's Intruder, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it at this point. So putting that aside, I'm not going to say it's an A or a B plus. It's not as great as anything on Skyscraper or Eat em and Smile, but I'm just so happy to, to hear new material from him, and he's singing great on it. He really is. And the getting back to the lyrics, they're so heartfelt. I was just thinking, too, and I haven't seen any commentary on this yet. I was scrolling through the YouTube comments, and they're all virtually all positive. But I wonder if there's some wag out there that has mentioned something that's, oh, he's just taking advantage of, of – uh, Eddie's death or something like that, but I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, I look at this as pretty sincere. You could, I mean, that song, it just, who knows what ultimately led him to do this other than this is a great song that says what I'm feeling right now, right? I mean, he could have put the song out early this year at the start of the tour with Kiss. I don't think that Dave does anything for money or approval of others at this point in his career, because if we think about what year was that the DLR band reunion that almost happened. Was that like 2012 or was that 2015? It It's sometimes hard to remember. Oh, this. the Eat em, and, Eat em and Smile band. Yeah, it was like 2015, 2016. It wasn't okay. that long ago. So so David Lee Roth was willing to reunite with his band at in like a, club. a Tuesday night jam in a bowling alley. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he doesn't do things for money. He does things just because it feels like a good idea or he's never done it before. It kind of reminds me of how Tom Cruise, somebody told me that he never works with any director twice. Almost like he says, well, worked with him. Now we're done. And I think Roth is that same kind of thing. Like he's not going to be an EMT again. He's not going to perform at, at an electric Daisy carnival or an EDM festival. He's kind of like, I did that next yeah so clearly he's not looking for hits or tours he's just going oh, oh i haven't done vegas well he kind of did but <laughs> right but that's how but i read not, this whole thing that he's I, not marching by any drummer's beat except his own that's kind of understandable i mean he i i, I Makes sense too. I was just thinking too. I mean, when he gets, I think when he doesn't want to do something, he doesn't want to do it. I mean, he'll get a good head of steam. Like whatever, whatever happened to Ink the original, his company. Um, Do Do you want my crazy person answer to that one? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Because I was trying to get an interview with Dave, so I was looking up through. You know, my my day gig is as an investigator. I was using legally, of course, this is no Anthony Pelicano kind of operation over here. I was using some different databases to figure out, well, who are these people behind the company? Who's working? And I found a bunch of the employees. So there are people, I can't tell if they're full-time with his company or he just hired other people's stuff, but there are real human beings 
working for his company. There are a few shell companies related to Dave. There is a, a lawyer and a business manager, and there are trademarks pertaining to him. So all that's in effect. But yet again, how is everything so closely guarded and nothing leaks? Like, just think about what you know about your neighbors and your neighbors weren't in Van Halen. Right. How, how is all this just kept so tightly? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's especially in a time we live in where everything leaks, for goodness sakes, if the federal government can't keep anything under wraps, you know, the military, the CIA, whatever is, yeah. I mean, hard to believe a freaking, you know, aging rock star, uh, you know, that that the whole rock world is always interested in what him and his band are doing. Things just don't leak out of there. Right. I mean, it's just it's uh, and I, you know what? I bet you, too, if you're working for both Van Halen and for Dave, you you are because of who they are, you are extremely loyal. You're not going to fuck that up. And I don't even, you know, who knows? I would bet you there's non-disclosure agreements all over the place. Oh, oh, yeah. But you know there is. But still, it's – would you want to be in their bad in their bad graces? There's no way. Would you want uh, – you'd want to keep being able to show up to work as much as possible with those folks. The only band that I could think of that it's more secretive than Van Allen is ACDC. Would you give me that one? I'll, yeah, I wouldn't even say so much as – secretive as when they other because there has been all sorts of you know they have mined the vaults let's say but yeah. i mean and they do inter they certainly do plenty of interviews unlike i mean dave is very picky with interviews and certainly yeah. we've talked to, we've talked about the and about this before i mean since 2007 when dave performed van halen how many interviews has eddie done maybe three did right yeah. i mean a couple since guitar billboard and guitar world yeah, that's that's really all I can say. Yeah. So, I mean, with ACDC, when they go dark, everything just shuts down and no one's going to Holland to figure out what the hell Angus Young is doing. You just figured they'll show up again, right? So Yeah, but, but ACDC, on the other hand, it, if people if, – if this is the truth, they don't have a manager, they don't have a publicist, everything just goes through their attorney and somebody might call you back, like Bill Murray style. Have you ever heard the rumors that – Yes. And have an agent that you just call an 800 number and leave a voicemail. <laughs> yes, yes, I've heard, I have heard that. I guess that makes Bill Murray the um, the Van Halen of acting. <laughs> of singing, yeah, possibly. There you go, right? Possibly. So, so getting back to the song, um, but I give it two thumbs up. I, it's fun. It's upbeat. It's yeah. I. It's like I said, it's effortless. The moment I heard it. Just the just the melody and the vocals, especially, I just re really took to it and sounded it just sounded instantly familiar. I love it. And when I saw the artwork with it, it actually made me a little teary eyed because I think that there is a real sentiment that he does miss Eddie, that even if he was kind of his foil and they were on and off as friends and all that, you do get the vibe that that. 60 something year old Dave is a little more mellow and grown up than 20, 30 and 40 year old Dave. 
Oh yeah, and that's possibly of you know I would not be surprised if that's also somewhat due in part to inevitable uh, maturity, but also his prevalence for pot gummies. I mean, you know, he's uh, and some other substances. I was I was just thinking back. There was a vault. You know, there was all that press around the Ink magazine, the Ink yeah. Ink magazine, Ink rollout. And I think it was uh, one of those. Maybe it was on the Rogan podcast we were on there. But he was uh, he was talking how he likes pot gummies. So. Uh, you know, that'll mellow you a little bit too, right? So, <laughs> well, he did get busted uh, for the five dollars of dank weed in Washington Square Park in '94. So I don't think maybe that's anything new, right there. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, he's he's long been uh, wandering on that path for a long. <laughs> so. Well, I, yeah, in general, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, hopefully you dig the song. I bet we bet you do. You've probably, of yeah. course, have heard the song. Um, but let's get to uh, let's get to this episode's interview, because you've got two guys who played with Dave and who's got some new who have some new music. Yeah, it says a lot when Greg Bissonnette was the original drummer of Dave's solo band and maybe he left. Did he was he on the 91 album? I don't think he was on A Little Ain't Enough. Right? Yeah, uh, he was. Yep, he was, and and Matt was. They were the rhythm section on that album. I thought that they left after Skyscraper, but you're you're. I totally could be well, very much wrong, but it's great to see that well, Matt Matt was on the Skyscraper tour, but that's Billy Sheehan on the record. Correct. Yes. So that does actually come up in the interview when I bring up the song "The Bottom Line," one of my obsessions. Right. Um, well, <laughs> it's not a total Dave interview. In fact. We pretty much kept it off, Dave. We do have a highlight of Greg singing something from Sonrisa Salvaje. That happened pretty early. <laughs> Another obsession of yours, my friend. <laughs> that happens. I, I mean, I do now own it on vinyl. Um, I may or may not have bought some more rare Dave vinyl last night <laughs> on eBay. Uh, it happens. But um, I do get to it in the interview. An interesting thing that the Bissonettes both did besides all their work with Dave and Ringo and all that is they both played on the score to the show friends, that TV show friends, which I did not know until I heard the interview. Yeah. Um, greatest guys. And their band is called the red coats, sort of an all-star band that has other players from big bands over the years. And it's tough to see whether it's a side project I, I get the vibe that it's a real, real band, and their first single is already on Spotify. If you want to check it out, will do. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a damn good interview. Pardon damn the pun again. And it was yeah. super interesting. I mean, just as musicians go, these guys are total pros. They played with everybody, and it was just really interesting to hear about how they were coming up and and how uh, how the the not only the tons of different people they played with but i know they did also touched on a bit about just finding gigs and getting gigs now you come up as a studio musician which is pretty interesting yeah and not everybody uh, realizes they played with maynard ferguson <laughs> you know so roth ferguson ringo matt in, in matt's case elton john the last eight years the Friends cues, <laughs> Pat Boone, that comes up pretty early in the interview that Greg played on the Pat Boone in a Metal Mood interview. Uh, uh, um, I'm sorry, Pat Boone in a Metal Mood album. Another absolute obsession of mine. Ah. <laughs> discographies are just through the roof, both of them. Excellent, excellent. Well, it's uh, 
just always excited when you get these interviews and, and you nab folks like these and, and I think everybody's going to enjoy it. Yeah. Um, so if you're listening to this, please start petitioning Brett Tuggle to speak to me. And Steve. <laughs> I think if, we have to talk to Brett Tuggle. <laughs> if Brett Tuggle is in the sound, is, is within the sound of our voice. If he's not, then maybe Terry Kilgore or uh, who else do we have left? Um, the other guy who played keyboards on Eat 'em and Smile, um, I forgot his name. Uh, Jeff Bova. There's oh him. yeah. There's uh, I don't know. I th- I, st- I still think there's plenty of ground to cover before oh. we get to Steel Panther. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I would love. Ter- Speaking of personal obsessions, I would love Terry Kilgore because I've got always had an odd obsession over the Filthy Little Mouth album because it's just it's the album that a lot of Dave fans don't like. I kind of like it, but it just it. I'd love to talk to Nile Rodgers and just not to blame him, but just go, what happened? This record. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just it's. I can't get. I've never been able to figure. It's like. What happened? That rhythm section is just there's. I mean, outside of No Big Ting, which should never have made anybody's record. That <laughs> I mean, there's some good songs on there. Yeah, uh, we we also have to speak to people who played on the DLR band album from '98. Oh yeah, sky's the limit in in terms of where we need to go. But I think Brett Tuggles on that short list. Excellent. Well. <laughs> we can cross the Bissonette brothers off the list. Great interview. And um, yeah, thank you for downloading and streaming and uh, leave a review if you can, where places you can leave a review, iTunes and, and uh, all the other providers. And as always, thank you. Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks to Steve for making it all happen. <laughs> Talk to you soon, buddy. Have you two always been the early guys to every band rehearsal? Oh, I have to apologize for. I hope I didn't. Hope we didn't mess your day up. This, I'm Matt, and this is Greg. By the way, uh, of course. <laughs> uh, I'm the more important of the two. Ah, I uh, love it. But the uh, it was so weird. I was looking at the thing, and we had always always planned on it being two o'clock because I remember the first email said two p.m. PST, right? So, and then for some reason, I'm sitting around today, and I go. I'm going to look at that. And it said 11, man. I almost freaked out. So I hope we didn't cause you any trouble. For the Bissonettes, the number of years I've been listening to your music, I don't care. It, it's oh, worth it. Karen, thank you. God bless you. I mean, <laughs> hey, the, the DLR band stuff that you did, uh, Greg, the Pat Boone in a Metal Mood album. 
Darren, uh, you're killing me. You know that. Awesome. Not only do I love it, but when I interviewed Pat the last time, like two years ago, he was specifically talking about you, Greg. So he remembers yeah. that. Well, we bonded because I mentioned that I went, Matt and I both went to North Texas State in Denton. And he said, I know you did. And I went there in 1959. I said, that's the year I was born. Darren, where, <laughs> yeah, where are you from? Uh, Long Island, New York. The sun is setting. That's why we get this weird light thing here on the beach. Um, 15, Long, Long Beach, New York, Long Island, uh, 15 minutes where you both have played a ton and ton of times, Jones Beach. Oh, Jones yeah. Beach is great. I love that. You got a Pac-Man machine. I got a Pac-Man machine. You know, they're cheaper than you think they are. <laughs> that's my I always like the, that's the Mrs. Miss Pac-Man, right? Exactly. It's got 2,000 games on it. It's, a, it's just a shell Pac-Man. Uh, I love it. How cool is that? Dreams come true. And, and Matt, because <laughs> I haven't asked you a question, you know, how did it feel to kill Osama bin Laden all those years ago? <laughs> I know, huh? You know, the first, when I first got the gig with Elton, um, uh, they, the road manager called me and go, we got to do something about this because it had just come out. And he, I guess the guy's name is Mark Owens or something like Mark that. Owens. And then... Uh, so I have to go under a different name at all the hotels. And uh, so, yeah, it was pretty, that, that kind of hit home. There's a bunch, there's a, there's a bunch of Mappus and that's that talk. And we always kind of say, Hey man, sorry. You know, sorry. We were in hiding. So <laughs> exactly. it's kind of not, you know, are you a musician as well? I'm a musician, not Bissonette level musician, oh, but uh, there's some play? Uh, guitar, bass. My wife's the classical musician. Nice. Wow. You have kids? No kids that I know of. <laughs> How old are you, Darren? 38 years old. So you, you didn't get to see any of the David Lee Roth tours or any of the Satriani stuff that we did or any, because they were Long Island guys buying Satriani. Exactly. I did not get to see it. Um, the six, seven times I've seen David Lee Roth live, neither of you have been in the band, unfortunately. But I do own Sonrisa Salvaje, uh, the Spanish. Ah, you'd have been smiling Spanish. <laughs> wow. Vuelto loco, el calor. Timido, 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 timid and shy. Wow. And uh, the wife and I flew out to see Dave's Vegas residency. She was going, you gotta go. And I'm like, no, he'll be back. Well, it's a good thing that we did go. But, you yeah. know, bring, bring the focus on you guys here. Uh, the Redcoats. Uh, wow. Um, that's a great new single that you got. It starts off with like low rider kind of vibes. And then it becomes its own thing. Are you comfortable with you guys being thought of as an all-star band? <laughs> well, he's actually in an all-star band, so that's, well, it's, a, we, um, it's kind of weird because we've always played music together since, you know, we were born, and, and uh, we loved the Beatles, and we used to have our Beatle guitars out when we were kids and doing all that stuff, and we've just done so much over the years together that we had a band called The Mustard Seeds for a while that we did, and, and uh, we've always wanted to write our own stuff and do our stuff because we played in a lot of bands together with other people's stuff. So we kind of had this bucket list thing of going, before we leave this earth, we'd like to do something that we can just play the things that we like to play. Cause we you know, do a lot of sessions with different people and, and we're proud of that and we love doing it and we love playing and the other guy's band, but we always kind of wanted to do something ourselves. So we kind of just, it started out, Greg and I talking about eventually doing something down the road. And then I was in uh, Dallas one day on, with Elton on a 
I'm dropping Elton's name a lot. Today. You just dropped a name, man. Elton John. Sorry, sorry. I'm picking up what you're dropping. Okay, cool. <laughs> and I uh, and I had a couple of days off, and my friend Billy White, who's a guitar player from Dallas, took me to this club to see this band. A couple of friends of ours were playing from because we both went to school in North Texas. Right. And uh, there's a guitar player named Andy Timmons, and I saw him, and I was just oh, yeah. freaking out, just going, "Wow, this guy! I can't take my eyes off of what he's doing, even when he's not playing." I'm sitting there going, "Just it seemed like a really cool guy." So I just kind of walked up and met him and, and uh, said, we're going to do something together sometime. So I never, never really had this master plan of it rolling into this thing, but I sent him a song of some other thing I was doing and he played on it. And then I wrote the first song, uh, Don't Shoot Me, I'm the Messenger. Was that the first one? That was the first one we did. And I remember Greg came over to the house and we, before I moved, it was the last song that he played on at my studio before we moved. And so we did the drum tracks and then sent it, uh, sent to uh, Wally Minko, the keyboard player who was living in uh, Cleveland at the time. He lives in LA and Cleveland. He mm -hmm. put his keyboard parts on. I did the vocals at home. And then Andy put the guitars on. And then we mixed it with my, my friend Mike Medina, who's the percussionist. Mm -hmm. And he also mixes everything and plays everything. Uh, kind of mixed it and went, this is pretty cool. You know, we should uh, do another song, you know. And then we did another song. And by the time we know it, it's like eight songs in. And then we go, we got to put this out and do this, you know, and, and, and uh, so I don't know about the word all-star band, but it's, it sure is a, a, a band of a bunch of really cool guys. I agree. It's a band of a bunch of my favorite musicians, my favorite musician of all time, and my best pal, my brother, you know, wrote every song, played bass, my favorite bass player and singer. He's, we're yep. such beautiful freaks. We used to sit when we were kids, stand in the kitchen by the stereo and play the help album and you know, fake like we're playing guitar and singing every word. So he was, he and I were both weaned on the Beatles and we went and saw the Beatles. Our dad got tickets and we saw the Beatles in 66 when I was seven and Matt was five. And so his singing, his writing, his bass playing, his producing, um, it's a band, but it's, it's Matt's, uh, inside Matt's head, really. Well, I mean, he's so cool that even though he writes the songs, all of them, he says we all wrote them together, kind of the real cool, bro way to be in a band well that's so. nice you to say that but what i've learned with this thing is that you have an idea you know somebody's got to have an idea to get rolling on it and right once you start sending people parts and you're not in the room they're writing you know they're all creating doing True. their thing so I, I really think so about that i really think that uh everybody is equal you that's know? true i never thought about that because in these times of sending files when you send them to andy you couldn't be there producing them going hey right. try this he just played but you had the framework, you had the lines. Right. But, the, but the good thing is, is that now when you're not in the room and you're doing something virtual like this, or even at sessions, Greg and I used to always, when we were, when we were doing Greg's records, like uh, that he produced and wrote every yeah. song for. Of course. <laughs> Sorry, the um, truth. It's kind of like you, when you're in a session and like Steve Vai would come and play guitar and you'd kind of say, this is the framework of the song. And then you just go, see you later. You know, tell me when you're done kind of a thing. Yeah. That's kind of the thing with this thing is everybody, Really, you know, from Mike Medina coming up with these, like you said, Lowrider. I mean, that was kind of the the vibe that we kind of stumbled into that we, when somebody asks what it is, it really is kind of jazz, weather report, pop, fusion, yeah, rock, whatever you want to call it. But it is based around this percussion, dirty, grimy street thing going on the whole time, which I, which I think is kind of unique in itself. And, I think it kind of holds it all together. Well, the great thing to me about Matt's writing is a lot of fusion albums, and I've listened to a lot of fusion albums. There's just not always a song. 
you hear a lot of blah, 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 blah. well, we got a lot of blah, 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 but we got songs. Every one of these is a great song in my estimation and a great pop song that if we were shooting for trying to sell these to Bruno Mars or whoever and get on the radio, these are great, great songs. But we chose to take, Matt chose to take different approaches. Let's just go crazy at the beginning of this song, Red Coat, in the beginning. He said, how fast can you play bebop? And I went, how fast? Maybe like we played with Maynard Ferguson on a song called Bebop the Faith. He goes, can you play any faster? I go, maybe three bar phrases whipping by at the fastest I've ever played Bebop. And then it goes, the eighth note's always there as a pulse, but the cool thing is, there's a song there, you know. Red coats, follow the lead. There's melody. A lot of fusion albums I love. I kind of go, it's great playing, but where's the song? You yeah, know? that's kind of a thing that that we've we've been around jazz and different things for so long that you can really lose interest fast. Yeah. You know, with any band. I mean, you know, the older you get, the more you can sit through anybody, and after about a half an hour, you're pretty gassed. Even the know? Beatles. Not the Beatles. Because that's Beatles. all it was, was a half an hour. So, <laughs> yeah. The whole show we saw was 20 minutes. Yeah, six songs at six five minutes. Six bucks, though, right? Yeah, it was overpriced. My dad said, man, how much are these tickets? And I said, got good news and bad news. He goes, I got you six tickets, but it's 36 bucks total. Six bucks a piece. $36. We had one clearing 50 bucks on the gig tonight. I'll take them. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, but yeah, we, but uh, yeah, that's the main thing is, it, for us was like I don't know how much you've heard the whole album or if you heard a couple songs or whatever but this the song Greg was talking about Redcoat it's we tried to have write a song like um like Chicago if you're familiar with Chicago Transit Authority of course yeah the yes. first song they have is, is called Introduction right and the whole song just kind of changes throughout the song introducing different band members different things and stuff like that so I didn't realize I was thinking about this yesterday the, the Redcoat song starts out really fast, but it never changes tempo through the whole song. It changes completely different feels, but it's all different interpretations of feels in the same tempo, whatever that was. Everything's based on this. Even seven, eight cubit. So it's all eighth note based, whatever that tempo is. Right. He, he thought of a way so we could. But we couldn't have done that song if he couldn't have played that thing that fast to start with, which was, which was, well, as we're playing it, we're both like trying to, our arms are falling off. Going, yeah. We're going, I don't know if we can ever play this live, but, oh, we'll, we, but we, come will. On, we will. We'll play we it will. But yeah, but that's, yeah, that's kind of the concept of the band. We, we kind of like, we'd like to play shows where anybody could come and see it and have something that they like. They won't just go, this is a jazz band, you know, and, or they just do this. It's kind of everything, you know. We want Darren to come to sing lead and sing lead and to that cool Long Island by Steve Vai's house, that theater that spins around. What's that place called? Oh yeah, yeah. Westbury Music Fair. Westbury yeah. Music Fair. You're gonna come and you're gonna see us there. I would see you guys at any venue you play. That's how much I love and respect your catalog, even if you did play on every episode of Friends, which <laughs> Oh, you know about that wow. too. Well, hey, have you ever seen the YouTube video of the last, the last uh, time we did a session with friends? I got to send it to you. No, I gotta, please do. I, it's pretty I funny. Because the bottom line, uh, no pun intended to the great song from Skyscraper that- uh, Oh, you know that too. I love this guy. 
Most baseball alive. Well, Billy played it on the record, but you didn't. He had to pull it off. So what I'm getting at is Greg. Greg was trying to say, well, what's the fastest thing I can play alive? I would have to say the that the bottom line where you all have to do your shredding would have been that. Yes, I can play the bottom line. Therefore, I can play anything. <laughs> and, and then start with that song. Remember, we'd start with that song. It's kind of like, <laughs> y'all warmed up real. <laughs> yeah. And we'd start eating and smiling with Shy Boy. You know? And we started the Redcoats with super fast bebop. So it's kind of a statement, you know, like, here we go. Yeah, like it or not, this is what it is. And, and you know, not to say it's like a musical journey or whatever you want to say that, but it, it does kind of set the tone for everything else on the record, which I'm I'm very proud of it. I'm proud that my brother can play that fast. I'm proud. I can too. Thank God. I love you. What comes next after that? Is the second song? Uh, I don't know. You, you got questions. You, you, I don't want to get well, in your way. Is there a third Bissonette brother? That part Sister, I never knew. Sister Kathy. Kathy works in the entertainment industry too. She works down at AEG Live in Hollywood. And she is the biggest music fan. Her hero is Donnie Osmond. Oh, man. She lives to go see Donny Osmond, wear purple socks, uh, Osmond Brothers, One Bad Apple, Puppy Love, Donny and Marie in Vegas. Yeah. And, but she's very well-rounded. She was at every one of our Maynard Ferguson shows, every one of our David Lee Roth shows. She could actually sing better than any of us and do anything, but she was smart enough to get out while she could. Get out of the music business. She, she got out of the music, get into the business. <laughs> that is. No, yeah. she's in the music business. Right. But she's just, and then Matt's wife, Sharia, they met when they were playing in the band that comes up out of Space Mountain at Disneyland. Yeah, that's right. And, and both of our, all four of our kids played drums. And so anyway. But no no other Bissonette brother, but a great Bissonette sister. Yeah. And did both of you start out on piano? Neither of us did. Matt started on bass. I started on drums. And I played trumpet and he played trombone. So we got, well, we got four on you here. Trombone and bass, trumpet and drums. Wow. It's, and taken, it's taken until about two weeks ago for me I, now I'm sitting at a piano, practicing scales and learning modes all over again, learning different things, because I kind of passed over that when I was younger. And then when you, when you, it's so strange when you're looking at a piano, it all makes sense, right? I mean, everything's right there on drums and bass. You kind of, you know, so it's been a new awakening for me for seeing a piano. But having said that, Matt, one thing I got to say, we grew up playing a lot of weddings, a lot of parties. And Matt, I, I got a picture of you playing with Chris Nordman. And you're about 15 years old, and you're just staring at his left hand. Yeah. So he's learning, not only is he learning, but he's hearing all the roots of all the chords. And really what the greatest songs of all time, the standards, the great standards, the American songbook, you know, from Gershwin to, you know, Hello Dolly to Satin Doll, Duke Ellington. And he's looking at Chris Nordman's left hand, and he's playing these bass notes. Bass notes. Later on, we find out he has perfect pitch. Uh -huh. And so he's got this ability, even with the mustard seeds, we'd be rehearsing. He'd drive from Orange County up to L.A. just thinking about a song in his head. Got it. He'd get there. He'd teach the guitar players the chords. He'd teach me where the feel is. And we'd all start singing, and he'd be directing us in harmonies, and we're done with the song. And that all comes from his root approach with bass. Maybe you're getting into the modes. He makes like it sound a lot better than it is, and I thank you for that. It's but, the truth. I'm not but, blowing smoke. But one thing I do know about both of us is that we grew up in Detroit, you know, serious working man town, and yeah. you just earned your keep kind of thing. And um, Greg started doing gigs with my dad you know, playing drums and my dad would, he'd want to take a break and not play the disco songs or the rock songs. So Greg would jump on the drums and play, you know, and, and I remember 
my dad, mom, the, my mom and dad bought me a bass. And literally two weeks later, I was on a gig with my dad. And he goes, you want to make 50 bucks? And he goes, I got you a tuxedo. We start this, I've told the story a million times, but it really did happen. He stuck me on a gig with him playing drums and an accordion player named Harry Demersion. And I had no clue to what I was doing. Getting paid 50 bucks, which was a lot of money back then. Yeah. And I go, dad, dad, what do I do? He goes, don't, don't just use your ear. Listen to what Harry's playing. Listen to what I'm playing and just feel what you feel. And then when I point at you, just give me a beer from the bar. And that was it. And he, so God helped that poor accordion player guy who had to sit through four and a half, five hours of this guy just going, I have no clue to what I'm doing. So they kind of threw us into it, you know, which is, which was pretty amazing at looking back at it. And that 50 bucks got you six Beatles tickets. Yeah. Well, my dad, our dad paid for that. He was playing, he was playing a wedding. We were there. I was literally seven. That was five. He was playing a wedding at the ambassador hotel down on Jefferson Avenue by the Detroit river. Yeah. And he came out on a break and there was just this, he, the way he tells it, he said it was deafening. The girls were screaming. And he asked the guy that was like the head guy, their food and beverage manager, or whatever, what's going on? He goes, the Beatles are staying upstairs. They're playing tomorrow night at Ho Olympia Hockey Arena in Detroit. My dad said, any chance of getting me close to six tickets? So <laughs> Matt and I, our sister was too young, and his friend Tom Trax and his daughter Karen and his son Jeff, the, the six of us could go. And he goes, come back after your gig's over. I don't think so. It's the Beatles. It's been sold out for six months. And when our dad came back in there, he said, I got six tickets, but it's going to be 36 bucks total, six bucks a ticket. So kids were seeing the Beatles. We were making 50 bucks at, at being 12 years old. That went a long way. Sure did. And he said the magic word of Detroit. I, every time I interview somebody who has Detroit roots, I ask this seriously, not facetiously. Is there a better music city in the world than Detroit? Because you think about it, punk basically originated there. Garage rock did. Motown, of course, which is its own genre. Even if you want to talk about modern day, the Insane Clown Posse, Kid Rock, Eminem, the White Stripes and all that, I can't think of any other city that gave the world all that. You know, when Coltrane played with Elvin Jones and Jimmy Garrison and McCoy Tyner, they only played in two cities ever, I think. Well, they did live in Paris, I think, once. But in America, they would jockey between Manhattan and Detroit. Those two, and Elvin Jones, of course, was from Detroit. But yeah, uh, yeah great music town. We had this station that we grew up listening to. It was from Windsor, Canada. It's called CKLW, a Canadian station. But it was kind of the Motown station. And I remember as a kid, you know, first, second, third grade, having my radio there, CKLW, the Motor City. And they played Temptation, Smokey Robinson, the Miracles, the Jackson Five, Diana Ross and the Supremes, you know, you name it. And we just got this constant barrage of singles, great songs. A lot of times we didn't even know the artists. So we both and our sister, we started collecting 45s of everybody like Green Eyed Lady, what a great song. Who is that? Oh, Sugar Love. We know Sugar Love because we had the <laughs> too young for that. Tears of a Clown. Yeah, Tears Smokey Robinson. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Okay, Ooh. so here's some other ones that we had 45. So it's a little bit before even our time, but we were kids. Dizzy. I'm so dizzy. My head is spinning like a whirlpool. Tommy Rowe. The Beatles opened up for Tommy Rowe. Wow. World. Yeah. So anyway, we got into the singles because of CKLW. Then Album Rock came around and Detroit had two big, well, one really big radio station when we were kids. W-R-I-F. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you know about Riff being in Long Island? 
when you work in the music industry, aren't you supposed to learn all the big stations and amphitheaters really? and tour routings? Uh, no? But I got to say, man, this is not because I'm trying to diss Detroit because I love it. It's a little too cold for me. And in the summer, we get about two weeks of summer and the state bird is the mosquito. I love Detroit. But L.A., all my friends in Nashville, oh, I'm going to Nashville. Oh, Manhattan, London. L.A. is the music entertainment, the entertainment capital of the world. We couldn't have done the Friends show for 10 years if we were living in Detroit. Yeah. We wouldn't have gotten auditions with David Lee Roth or Elton John or Ringo or Rick Springfield or ELO or any of the bands we played with if we lived in Detroit. It, it, it's a great, great music town. But we had to get out. We had to come here where it all happens, I think. Yeah, common theme. I mean, Jack White is not in Detroit anymore. They all go to Nashville or L.A., so I don't blame you on, on that end. So you it's, got an amazing, it's an amazing place to grow up and an amazing place to uh, get grounded and, and gr amazing musicians, man. I mean, the jazz players back there, I still, to this day, some of the best I've ever heard. And, and the rock stuff, you know, I mean, the rock bands we had, we, we were copying other rock bands around the town, like Bittersweet Alley and... Eastwood Park and all these bands they were just playing Frankenstein and all these songs and blowing up the stage with the smoke bombs and stuff I mean it was rock you it know? was a rock and roll town man. Yeah. and we left when we were young like 17 18 years old we'd come back for the summers and to do gigs to make money to pay for college we didn't really experience the playing at Harpo's and all the stuff that our friends DC right. Drive yeah. Adrenaline they did but we knew enough about it to know that Grand Funk and you know um Iggy Pop and all that was there. Alice Cooper. MC5. Yeah. MC5. Yeah. yeah. It really is the best music city and hoping to get there in 2021. I haven't been aside from an airport layover, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I love that airport too, man, because they have the Coney Island there, the uh, National Coney Island. Oh, Detroit, Detroit's changing too, man. Downtown, it's completely coming together. It's, it's, I didn't think it was going to happen like that, so. Exactly. So I got three quick questions and then you guys are free if that's cool. This is a pretty short interview. Well, I just assumed that, uh, you know, you were busy, you know. We drove an hour to get here. Come on, man, talk. <laughs> We've been doing stuff and we're doing it on Zoom. And get on Zoom and get on Zoom and get on Zoom. And, and uh, sometimes it's sometimes more dramatic than just Let's talk a little bit more. I got a few other things I want to say. Oh, okay. Hey, for you guys, I got all the time in the world. But uh, first thing that I want to know was being that you two have been playing with some of music's top artists for 30, 35 years, something like that. Is there anything really left to accomplish besides keeping on making a living? Absolutely. Who should go first? You go first. I've always loved, I've always wanted to play with Chick Corea. Now, we have some Korea-esque music in this album, on this Redcoats album, and Wally Minko is very right up there with Chick Korea. There's a handful of keyboard players in the world that we just, you know, Herbie Hancock, Chick Korea, Wally Minko, Jeff Babco, David Garfield, um, Ron Pedley's another great one. We, we have a lot of great keyboard players that we love, but I'd, I'd love someday to do something with Chick Korea or Herbie Hancock. I'd love to do something. I was a huge police fan. I'd love to play mm -hmm. some of the police songs with Sting. I've played with Andy Summers a lot. I get to do TV shows and movies. Mission Impossible 2 with Stuart Copeland. He's a, he's a buddy and he hired me to play. He likes to be on the other side of the glass. 
And Sting sat in with me with Andy Summers one time. Sat in with me. Sat in with Andy Summers when I was playing. But instead of, he goes, let's do Walking on the Moon. I'm going, great. Dun, 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 I'm ready to play. He goes, but instead of doing it the, the Stuart Copeland way, let's swing it. I'm going, swing it? Giant steps. Not, I want to play my, you know, message in a, I mean, uh, Walking on the Moon with Sting like the Stuart Copeland way. But anyway, um, I got to work once with Paul McCartney. Uh, yeah. He came out and played uh, birthday with Ringo, but I'd sure love to do some more things with Paul. Ringo's the greatest gig I've ever had, and I hope I can do it for at least, you know, another 10 years. It, 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 Ringo's the healthiest 80-year-old I know, but it sure <laughs> was fun playing some music with Paul, playing with Elton. He met with Elton. That's another one of my favorite artists, you know, being a kid with my friend Bob Schmidt and listening over and over in his room to Goodbye Yellow Brick Road and your song. I remember hearing that on the radio. The first time Matt's been with Elton for nine years. Billy Joel's another guy I'd love to work with. I'd love to play. I got to play on one song with the Foo Fighters and uh, Taylor Hawkins let me sit in on a song. It's on their, uh, one of their albums, B-side. Which Foo Fighters song did you play on? Was that on the album where they were going to, to all the different cities to record? No, it's one that, uh, all in all, or all for all. It's it, there's one song called Danny Says, and, and the guitar player. Chris oh, the sings. cover. And yeah, I yeah. Cover. I played drums on that, but I didn't want credit. And they didn't credit me, so I'm playing drums on oh, it. But I, this band, that Matt, uh, this band that Matt and I had, the Mustard Seeds, when, yeah. when Soundgarden was coming out, and when Pearl Jam and Allison Chains and the whole Seattle scene was coming out, we were in LA. So it's like, well, you have a band. And the only problem is you're not from Seattle and you're not wearing plaid, you know. So, but our sound was very much uh, reminiscent of King's X. Now, Soundgarden oh. used to say, we can't wait for the next King's X album to come out so we can steal some stuff. Well, we were stealing stuff all the time from Ty Tabor, Doug Finnick, and Gary, Jerry Gaskill. One day they were driving down uh, Santa Monica Boulevard and they saw on the Troubadour sign the mustard seeds. They go, that's Greg and Matt's band. They stopped the tour bus. They came to our show. And I remember we talked to Doug Pinnock before the show, the coolest guy in the world. We said, Doug, you know, we're going to start with this song, Mr. Green. It's really reminiscent of King's X. We hope you're not, you know, upset. He goes, upset? We think it's great. We just hope you have more success than we did. What <laughs> a horrible response, yeah, right? That's pretty How about you? Any people you were dying to play with? So that was, so I kind of missed the premise of the, the who, question. Who else would you want to play with that you haven't already? Well, it was a huge, huge compliment because most people, if they got one photo with Ringo, they would be talking about that for 25 years, let alone <laughs> playing in his band for all these years. And of course, right. Elton and Roth gigs and all that. Is there anything that you haven't accomplished in music that you're still hoping one day might happen? <laughs> My brother loves Kansas. I, I, yeah, I do love Kansas. You should play bass in Kansas. <laughs> I, I hey, love they've, Kansas. They've changed everyone except Phil, I think Phil is is all that stuff in the original lineup. So no, like, like Joe Walsh or Steve Walsh or whatever. He's yeah. still in the band. Yeah, he's I love Kansas so much because when I was a kid, that being from Detroit, it's kind of like you just do your job, right? You if you're driving bread truck, you do that job. You don't complain about it. Kansas to me is like the perfect band for that because they all just do their jobs great. The, the, every drum fill kind of has a reason the bass player stays out of the way. The bass player is not winking, winky all the way. It's, it's like the most precise thing that I can think of when I, even when I hear it now, you know? So for me, I, for that question, I, I don't know, because I've, we've been on the road so long. I mean, I've been thinking about it. I talked since this whole thing with COVID happened, this is the first time I've been home for more than a month since for 20 years. I mean, I've been yeah. gone 
all the time. And when my son was growing up, I mean, I'd be home for periods of time. But and then before then, you know, you're talking. We started with Maynard in seven in '81, so we've been out so much that now I'm sitting at home and kind of going, well, what am I, what am I doing with my life now? And 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 it feels really great. I remember being on the road last year, going, man, I can't wait to be home. And and then when mm -hmm. you wish for something like that, and then it comes upon you, you kind of go, man, okay, well, now what? Yeah. And, and for me, the biggest thing is. Is men, us men were born for a purpose. We have to have a purpose. It's like everybody I know that retires, no matter if they hate their job, they worked this job for 50 years and they hate it, then they retire, then they go and play golf. Two years later, they, they die. They die. To retire know? is to expire. Yeah, like this guy I buy a million cars from over the years, he just retired two years ago. He's back, back there because yeah. he misses it. He misses selling yeah. cars, you know? So for me, anything that gives me purpose in my soul that makes me feel like I'm doing something for my family or for my friends or for, you know, writing millions of songs maybe that people will never hear. It doesn't matter. It's just creating things. And for me, I just love writing songs and producing songs and stuff. So I don't know of anybody I could say that I would just go, man, I would love to do, I mean, I love Brian Adams' voice. I Brian like Adams, songs. you came really close to yeah. Brian Adams' gig. That would be a tour for you. He ended up, Brian Adams ended up playing bass on the tour. But that's the funny thing though about our, our dynamic of growing up in Detroit, our dad and mom were super supportive of us, wanting us to just do music, right? And when he got the gig with Roth, I had a band called A440, and we came out on the same label yeah. that Bon Jovi, Slippery Than Wet came out. The same weekend, our records opened up. So, you know, who, you know, we weren't hanging much after that because Bon Jovi took over the world. But I remember- Now, let me ask you, in France, would, would, would Bon Jovi be good Jovi? <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. Oh, we didn't really freeze. Um, so I remember back in Detroit, he yeah. got the gig with Dave, and I remember it was at Christmas time, and our band A440 was just about to break up because this thing was happening, and my dad organized a, a, a Greg Bissonette autograph session at our house in the middle of winter, right? Because my dad loved us so much that he was so proud of us. And I remember this line of people that would never give us the time of the day growing up were in line getting Bro's signature. And I remember my dad going, hey, Matt, get up there and you can sign it too, you know? And my dad was always like, he equated your success musically with who you're playing with. And he's the mm -hmm. writer, so he wants to do his own I stuff. want to do my own thing. So my dad and I always had this thing, and I knew my dad loved me, and I know he wanted what's best for me. Like with my son, I want him to... to do whatever he does and hopefully make enough money and you know you worry about your kids but i right. remember that so for me that answer kind of goes back to that i kind of like writing and producing and doing my own thing so I, besides the brian adams or bands like that peter or, gabriel you always say hey put like a peter gabriel red rain on this song yeah, but, like but then you. again but then again i i still say the people that you think that's going to be your lifelong dream as soon as you put your headphones and you're playing the gig he could after, be a real jerk. After a couple of weeks, you just kind of go, you just kind of go, okay, you know? Well, the other thing, too, is that Matt is the writer. I don't write. So for me, it was always like, I want to play drums. I want to go on the road. And I'm always the networking kind of, oh, go to Guitar Center and hang out and see who's looking for keeps. And I find out through the grapevine of grapevines on the phone while we're in Detroit that Rod Stewart's looking for a bass player. So I tell Matt and I tell my dad, and my dad's going, Matt. Rod Stewart, man. Rod Stewart's audition when you get back in January after New Year's. Rod Stewart finally matches, snapped. He goes, how do I want to play with Rod Stewart? <laughs> I remember that, man. 
I remember that. That's. I want to have my own band. Yeah, it's it's, it's sad, but I mean, I love playing. I love playing with Elton. I love playing with Rick. I love playing with Cetriani and Dave and all these different bands. But not that much. But not that. But, but, uh, but I don't know. I want to get back on the road tomorrow. I think it's about a balance. And Matt, I right. know it is hard. I know he he loves playing in front of people. Maybe the Redcoats might play in Italy a little bit later in in. in in a few months down the road, we've had some offers. We hope we go on the road and play because we love playing in front of people. I kind of, I'm not married, you know, Matt's got a wife at home. I'm not married, I have two amazing kids and I miss the heck out of them when I'm gone. But I think if I find that balance of being like Ringo's, the perfect balance, he'll tour 10 weeks a year. I'm playing with my drum hero, the guy that made me want to be in a band and still right. be in a band. My favorite drummer and my great friend. And I just can't wait for the next Ringo tour. In fact, he called and said, Greg, it's not canceled because of all this virus stuff. It's postponed to 2021. We were supposed to play for a week at the Beacon Theater. And so I think we're doing all that again yeah. in June, September, October, and I can't wait. And I'll bring my kids out on the road. Well, Hank, I love being on the road, but I love being home with my kids too. I think it's a balance. I think Greg said it's balance. Balance in everything. Life, balance in everything. Because without that, balance and purpose, without those two things. And Joe. And, and Joe. Pons. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> so, well, can we talk just a hair more about the Redcoats? Well, you had another question. Yeah, yeah. you had only three questions, you said. This is her. Well, to, you, made, you made me, like, hearing all this uh, made me think of another thing, which I wanted to ask. Then the Redcoats, and then I'll ask for your last words for the kids, if that's okay? Come on. Okay. Come on. So, my first thing is, in getting to know a lot of session players over the years, I learned that, you know, session players trade off gigs. Hey, I'm on the road. I can't do that one, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I've heard, you know, for example, Victor and Drizzo, sometimes his gigs go to you. <laughs> sometimes his gigs, you know, that kind of thing. He's a great friend. I love Victor. Victor's great. He's originally from Long Island, but doesn't like to talk about it. Oh, no. <laughs> you like Victor more than Greg? Who do you like more, me or Victor? Um, I don't think Victor's ever going to do that. Ladies and gentlemen. Envelopes. Come on, come on. You played on an Eat em and Smile. Ah, you I knew it. You played on Skyscraper. Never like And that. I mean, a little ain't enough, which had the uh, the final tour of Dave 2021 at the end, which he's never addressed in there. Uh, come on, you guys. Simple no. as that. Sorry, Victor. That's my brother on bass on that album, by the way. That's my brother. Of course it is. Come on. My brother's. What do you think you're talking to? The co host of the DLR cast. to the Eskimos. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm curious when you guys both realized that you weren't necessarily competing and there was enough work to go around for you guys and other great musicians. Tim Pierce, a friend of ours, he actually played guitar on a great song uh, called The Sun Man on the submarine album that Matt, Matt wrote. And so Tim Pierce, when we were doing that, when we were doing that recording, was that Cornerstone or something? Like that? At the studio in, in Chatsworth, California. I was mm -hmm. talking to him because he was at the time and probably still is the, the most working guitar player in LA yes. at this time. And before that, it was Steve Lukather and Mike Landau, um, who's the guy from Giant, you know, the and, Dan Huff oh, yeah. and Dee Parks and, you know, Tommy Tedesco. Well, Tim Pierce works a lot and his line stuck with me because I was talking about sessions and he's saying, oh, Denny Fongheiser, Denny Fongheiser was on this session that I did last week. Denny Kalyuta was on the one I did yesterday. And a week ago, Kenny Aronoff and I went, 
oh boy, I'm getting bummed. I wasn't on any of those sessions the last two weeks. And he said, wait, wait. He goes, I'm just happy. This is the best line. I'm just happy to be one of the guys on some of those guys' lists. There's a lot of producers, a lot of labels, a lot of contractors. If you're one of the guys on some of those guys' lists, there's a lot of bass players, a lot of drummers, a lot of guitar players. So just be one of the guys on some of those guys' lists. And thank God we get to work a lot together. People request us. Like Satriani. See, yeah. look at the talk to Satriani. He goes, I'm looking for guys to play a lot together, like brothers. And he recommended two sets of brothers, Jody and Dean Cortez and Matt and I. And, of course, he chose Matt and I. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I love you, Jody and Dean. And so many great players. And there's no bad competition. We're all friends and, you know, dear friends. And it's all, it's all peace and love, man. Peace and love. No autographs. Peace and love. Uh, so back to you guys. You said that there might be an Italy tour or something to that effect. And it's a great, great group that you got. It's, as you talked about, it's more than just an all-star band, a who's who's of session players. Do you know anything else that may be coming up in 2021? Well, when I was over in uh, Milan, I, we got asked to go to the Blue Note to see Peter Erskine's band play. And there's mm -hmm. a friend of ours that I know over there in Italy who books all the bands and stuff. And and I was kind of going, it was right when the first song was being written, the, the Messenger song. And I was yeah. going, this could be kind of cool to kind of come over and play for two weeks and play like four or five nights a week. And so I was kind of grilling them about the money and the, how it works and the travel and all that stuff. And we, uh, when we got done with the record, I sent it to him and he was real interested in booking the band. And after this COVID stuff, whatever happens with it, we're talking about going over in May and possibly july to do some festival stuff for a band that's never physically been in the same room together that's a pretty good start so uh, i'm just anxious to 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 put this music on the road because i can see like a an hour-long show of just people just jamming their brains out and just having fun and responding i mean i'm amazed at the record because we weren't in the same room together that there's so much interplay between the musicians like andy can when he's you know one taking a solo He's anticipating Greg's drum fills before he's even heard it before, you know? That's when you can tell these guys are great musicians and you just want to at least a couple times go on the road and see if it works, you know? That's and the funny thing is, too, we're all working musicians. And so for us to go, like some of my friends, they have their jazz bands and they go on the road and they lose money because you got to get a van or a driver or sound guy at hotels. And what are the jazz clubs? I mean, we're not going to play the Greek theater. We're... We're combining weather report, you know, the Beatles, the mustard seeds, you know, Chick Corea, and we're doing all that's this different stuff. That screams Greek theater. That screams Greek theater. <laughs> Meet me at the Greek. But, I, you know, I'm thinking, well, how could we go on the road and make a lot of money doing this? Well, guess what? I mean, I get to go all the time to Japan. You yeah. know how much it costs to go to the Billboard Live or to the Blue Note? It's like $300 for a 45-minute set, two drink oh, yeah. minutes, and the band makes a boatload of money when you play in japan the japanese fans are fanatic for for musicianship you know in america it'd be a blast tour here too and i hope we do but we all have mortgages and bills you know funny thing is there can be you know covid times the funny thing is darren the bills keep coming in the mailbox so you got to work and so i think matt and all of us will find a way to do it but to be able to do it in the right way that makes sense yeah well, speaking of what you just said about Billboard Live, I had a friend that was in Brian Blade's band 
when I was in Japan one time and she was there with Brian Blade and seeing how well he did there, it kind yeah. of shows that musicianship still prevails yeah. in certain cities and countries more than others, where it doesn't matter about a hit. People just want to see two to three hours of people shredding, which you guys do tastefully. <laughs> and not even shredding, but I know, it, you know, even with Toto, they would play a club called the House of Blues, you know, a couple thousand people in yeah, Florida, yeah. California. And then when I played with Toto and even before Toto stopped playing, they'd sell out the Bercy in Paris, 30,000 people a night for three nights. And there's yeah. something about, you know, Europe, Japan, for some reason, that they really love American musicians. Bands like Toto, Steely Dan, and the Redcoats. <laughs> it's the prophecy the of Red Spinal Tap. It really is. It really is the last scene of Spinal Tap, right? The yeah. Japanese market's waiting for <laughs> That's <laughs> right. It's the same thing. I mean, there's always a market for anything, you know, if you just uh, do some things right. That's you know, right. And your bandmate, Andy Timmons, is actually a legit solo artist in Japan. You're I not wrong know. about that one. So well, that's on one of the things in Italy, too, is he was going to go over to Italy sometime around that time, too. So we're all doing stuff. I mean, Matt, of course, whenever Elton says, let's go, he's going to jump. And whenever yeah. Ringo says, let's go, we're gonna, I'm going to jump. But, you know, this is a super fun band, and I'm super proud to be in it. My brother's great songs. Oh, and let's just you. do our own thing, you know? Yeah, it's a good, I mean, if anything has come out of this, you know, I'm not going to be one of those guys that said, yeah, this, this situation's been really good for me because I hate to hear when people's, this thing hasn't really affected me because it has affected oh, everybody. Yeah. But I can yeah. say that kind of written a lot of music for, you know, other things too and been busy doing that. And I feel like if anything that we will, before things start going back to crazy time of being on the road, maybe we can throw some stuff in and get out on the road a little bit and just see what happens. At least have some fun. You know? Have some fun. Well, I want to see what happens, whatever happens with you guys. In the closer, any last words for the kids? Brush your teeth. Take your Flintstones. Say your prayers. And the golden rule is not do unto others as they do unto you. It's do unto do others unto the way you. do unto where to others. Do, under, do unto others the way you wish they would do unto you. Like, just treat people great, you know? Try to be a light, you know? There's a lot of negativity and a lot of darkness and, and kids that want to play music, man. I tell people all the time, half of the pie is how well you play and sing and write and everything else. The other half of the pie is, do people like hanging out with you? Are you Are fun? You do you make people yeah. laugh? I mean, we're making you laugh and that's making my day. Ringo's out there playing, not because he needs the money, believe me. He's out there playing because yeah. he sees guys in Sergeant Pepper outfits and yellow submarines. and He's making people happy. And we love to make people happy, whether it's going in a recording session or both kind of people pleasers. We want them to be happy. That way they give us the check. And next time they hire us, they give us a check. We love making music. We're Detroit capitalists. But at the same time, we like making people say, hey, that was great. And people going, yeah. So that's a big part of it, the other half of the pie. How do you treat people? Are you someone that likes people? Because if you don't, you're in the wrong business. Yeah, and you can't fake that either. It's like I've been watching him I always talk about, I, every time we do a session, by the time I get there and he's already got the drum sounds, they're all in love with him because he just, you want me to just keep hitting it? You know, like most, some guys would just go, man, I've been hitting the same drum. Don't you have the sound already? He'll just, he'll have his headphones on, like make calling his son while he's doing the drum thing. He'll do whatever it takes to, to make the person that you're working for not sweat, you know, make it, it's going to be okay. We're, you hired me for this amount of time. I'm going to give you my best. And that's kind of the Detroit thing too, is just, you just, you just lay it out for somebody. Somebody wants you to play for them. 
you, it's up to you to just give them whatever they want, you know? Yeah, Even well, if it's something that you don't want to play or whatever you think is like beneath you or whatever your thing is, you just make the person, give the person what they want, you know? That's a Detroit thing. That's a Detroit thing. And if people are going to pay for someone, my dad, our dad, or whoever it is now, to set up my drums, I don't have to, I hate setting up drums. I hate, I always pinch my fingers in the stands. I, for the last 40 years, I'm 61, since I was 21, 22, I haven't had to yeah. set up my drums, even with Maynard, we had text. So I haven't, I don't have to set up my drums. I go there, I hang out with my friends, we play music, and we get paid. Why would you retire from that? That's what, when we were kids, we had our friends come over so we could, oh, let's listen to this song by the Beatles or by the Guess Who, and let's try to play it. Well, that's what we're doing today. Yeah. But we're getting paid to <laughs> yeah. do it, so why would you yeah. retire? Exactly, exactly. I gotta send I you that, I gotta send, I gotta get your email address and send you the YouTube link, YouTube, YouTube link for the last friend session, because that, we would just show up. Michael Scloth did the, all the music. He hardly ever would have a chart. He'd just kind of go, how about, because we would just play the you know, trailers at the end. It'd be like, or whatever it is. Yeah. It was just a party. We'd just go there. It'd be four hours of just laughing, eating, and hanging out, and recording songs that, to this day, still pays a buttload of money. Man, we have, a, we, have a, we have a union thing. One of the great things about the American Federation of Musicians. We have 802, is it? What's that? AFM 802. Uh, no, we're 47 here, local 47. Oh. But we um, we have this great thing called the Special Payments Fund, and it's for there's two checks that come every year. One for phonographs, records, you, you know, and then the second one is for TV film. And man, friends, 10 years, our buddy Rocket Rashad, great guitar player that played on every show, he'll make people laugh. Believe me, he cracked us up, and. Hey, what was your check for it? Was it this one? <laughs> yeah, can you believe this? And he was making twice as much as he was doing doubles. Is that right? Right. We should call him. Man. I'm getting called. Wow. But that's, but that's the thing, man. It's, for me, and I know for my brother, it's uh, it's about purpose and, you know, not to always talk about money because that's, you know, I mean, it's an important thing to do and everything, but we've been so blessed our whole lives to to love what we do. Going back to the, like, are you going to retire? We're never going to retire. Never. You're going to go as long as we can physically do this. You yeah, know? I want to die on the drums. Not today, though. Not today. But, uh, <laughs> so, I mean, in a way, you could say that's what success is, is doing what you love and dying doing it, whatever, you know? So we're very, very fortunate guys. I probably want to die getting a massage, like a hot yeah. coconut oil massage. Then, then From a woman, you. not, you know, anyway. I'm not touching you again. Well, no, no more coconut I think I, I think what I've learned here is not only do you guys have an incredible band, which which has great new music coming soon. You're not resting on your laurels. It's going to keep coming. And your attitude, so many people can learn from. So thank you so much for not just the years of great music, but the excellent interview experience. And looking forward to seeing that Friends video. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thank Thanks, you, Darren. I appreciate it. God, God bless you. Have a great rest of the day. And we'll get this. Outro cast.